Blog Talk Radio. Hello, hello. Welcome to the latest Outsports podcast. It is Constitution Day, September 17th. Was it 1787, I think, that the Constitution was signed? Um, and our podcast, before I forget, is sponsored by AT&T, Mobilizing Your World. Uh, Sid, it's also the start of football season. It is back. Well, and Jim Bozinski is burying the lead. It's also his birthday. So happy birthday. I didn't realize that your birthday was the same day as the Constitution was ratified, but <laughs> congratulations on that. <laughs> yeah, I have, thank you. I have, there's also the thing where you can look up who was born on your birthday, and I forget some of mine, but I think Dave Copay was like Leonardo da Vinci or something that he talks about. And, um, so, yeah, that, uh, thank you. I'm going to took the day off uh, from work and uh, going to watch my favorite athlete of all time tonight, Peyton Manning. Uh, going to watch it at actually Dave's house, Broncos Chiefs. So hopefully Peyton will give me a small little birthday gift by winning, although I have real doubts about them winning tonight. Well, I, it's, and, and, and Jim and I, I think we talked about this last week, we're in this loser's pool. You have to pick a loser every week. And, you know, my my pick is, is the Patriots this week. I like to take risks early on, but Gosh, I'm so tempted to switch to Denver. This just feels like, a, a, like you said in the email to me, the potential for that Patriots disaster last last year. Well, yeah, I can't, I mean I can't take the Broncos. I can't. I mean though, I just I just it would feel like I'm viol- making a violation of something. But as someone who's followed Peyton, he he is not comfortable in the offense, whether it's age, new system, and if they get it right, that's a big if. It's going to take a while. The Chiefs. The Chiefs are one in thirteen lifetime against Peyton. They've lost all six wow. games he's been a Bronco quarterback. It's the home opener for Kansas City. They're all geeked up. They played really well last week. The, the Broncos are struggling on offense, even though they have an excellent defense. I mean, if they don't, kind of don't win this game, I don't know if they'll ever beat Peyton because everything <laughs> kind of lines up for them to maybe do. I said what they did to the Patriots last year. Same thing, early season at home where they just crushed them, and that was the game everyone declared Brady you know, and the Patriots done. So I just have a feeling that it could be something like that tonight um, with the only caveat being Denver's defense is playing so well that maybe they'll keep it close. But at least that's what I'll be doing. So I'll be enjoying it up until the moment they start losing. Uh, well, guy, I, I, uh, I got a football game today, so I'm gonna, I'm probably going to miss a little bit of it. But say lovey. But anyway, good to have football back. And speaking of, we had uh, – Sid wrote a wonderful story this week on a college football player at Princeton um, who kind of he came out and he came out in an interesting way in the sense he's his uh, first game is this Saturday and he specifically did not do the coming out in the off season. Um, his name is Mason Darrow and I'll let you kind of pick up maybe just kind of a bit about his story and kind of what you've learned about Mason and the reaction. Well, it, it, as far as the reaction, uh, yeah, I, I haven't been able to talk to him much because classes started uh, yesterday, so we kind of ran the story a few days before the season opened, and then classes started right away. So he, I, I know that 
he has to have been inundated just from the number of people who liked the story and shared the story and asked me for his email address. So, um, but but he all he's been able to do is say, "Oh man, it's been great, and and I'm so busy. So we'll talk to you later." But it's um, I I don't know how we, anybody could be surprised by this story at this point because over the last, particularly the last couple of years. We've told so many stories in and outside of football where it, it, that demonstrate how much support that the teams and coaches show their gay athletes, particularly in high school and college. And and you know, I went to Princeton last uh, last week, yeah, and 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 met with the coach and met with some of the teammates, and they just it it. it I guess the big surprise to me was how much of a non story it is for them i mean the, the players all have known for a couple of years they didn't they didn't nobody had told anybody on the coaching staff i guess one trainer knew or something but the head coach didn't know and nobody else knew and it because it was it was such a non-story that it it just it didn't become a gossip thing it didn't it, it would take up anything and, and and the guys they talked to from the south one of them is mason's roommate Again, he didn't he didn't know a gay person really before Mason came out to him, and now he's his roommate. He just uh, and and they became roommates after he knew that he, Mason was gay, and it's just they just don't care. It's not even on their radar screen that Mason's gay. Well, and that brings up an interesting thing that I wanted to talk about because you did a great job on getting inside his head. <clears throat> in telling the story, and when I read it, I mean, I read it ahead of time, and <clears throat> my first thought was, and I don't mean this in a negative way, like, there's no there there. It's like all the drama was in his head, and this seems to be with so many gay athletes. It's all the fears are inside them. Externally, they have these, oh, my God, I'm going to be ostracized. My roommate's from the South. He's going to hate me, and it turns out in almost all these cases, none of that ever happens. And it's kind of fascinating to me psychologically that people build up this fear and this drama that they play it on their head over time. I mean, Bobby Petrino, after the Louisville, the son of Bobby Petrino, the Bobby Petrino Jr., who came out last week, um, and we wrote a story about it, said that he wishes he could go back and tell his 15-year-old self that it would have been this easy because it would have saved him a decade of torment. And we hear that all the time. And the same thing with Mason. It's like you said it was like, um, what's the story? Like, oh, uh, everyone loves you? <laughs> you know, but like in his mind, it was this big, huge psychodrama that went on for a long time where, you know, he's texting his coach and then his coach freaks out thinking he's injured. It's like, and it's like, so how do we sort of get to where people can maybe feel even more comfortable with it, that it's not going to be all gloom and doom when they come out. Well, I remember talking to you about a week ago about this story, and I said, Jim, there's no story there. I don't know how good this story is going to be because there just isn't any, there's no conflict. There's there's no, like you said, there, there. So I really had to, you know, really dig into Mason. It was real. I remember last weekend talking to him. I said, Mason, listen to me. You need to, 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 to really give me some some meat here and some some details because I, I there's not much for me to go on and and he was great and started opening up about really specifically how he felt at certain times uh, and and I think 
you know, certainly Outsports' role and your and my role in this movement and and affecting change is to continue to tell these stories because with every story that we tell, more people realize it's okay and and it's gonna be okay. And you know, Mason has been reading Outsports for years, and I think in 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 part that helped him you know get over the fear of being able to uh, share with that first teammate who then you know gave him the strength to tell the next one and then the next one and i think that 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 it's that visibility that builds the the support and i know that he he had reached out to a couple of athletes um you know maybe about 6 months a year ago that we had that we had written about so you know that the visibility that we bring helps build this network that that some of these athletes are able to tap into i think that that's our role in this one of the athletes, I'm not sure who contacted who, but Conrad Eyring, who is a runner now at the University of Illinois, he did a great coming out story earlier this summer. And I don't know, I mean, Conrad contacted me about Mason separately from you hearing about Mason. I think we both heard about him in different channels. And they apparently were good support systems to each other because they were, you know, roughly the same age. And it does strike up the importance of sort of reaching out to people. And we're going to have a story next week by a closeted athlete who explains why he is staying in the closet. Um, But what I've already been able to do with him is connect him with somebody in his sport who has been out and already is kind of helping him kind of navigate through this. And it's a high school athlete. It's a good story about, you know, basically he's in a part of the country, the South, where he really can't come out. You know, like I would not encourage him to come out publicly given his circumstances, but he still wants to say that he hopes he can do it someday, but reading stories, and he specifically mentioned Connor Merton's story, you know, the uh, the, the open uh, out football player at, uh, at Willamette in Oregon as someone who's inspired him. So at least this gave this closeted athlete still the strength to sort of contact us, and one of the conditions of running the story was, we had to know his identity, so I know who he is. It's not, an, you know, it's anonymous to the world, not anonymous to outsports. But again, it's that building block as he sees stories by in Connor, and it says maybe I can do that, maybe not now publicly, but I hope one day. But at least let me tell you what I'm dealing with now. It, yeah, that that support structure is huge. Being able to talk to another athlete and and you know, be inspired if if they don't come out publicly to the world or don't come out to their team maybe they come out to a couple friends or their parents or they get they they get the strength to create some kind of lifeline somebody to talk to in their own life i mean you don't have to we're in the, i think you ran a column maybe i, I can remember <laughs> a few months ago like how out do you have to be to be out and it's just it's so many different levels you don't have to tell the world to be comfortable in your own life just being who you are so you know the each of these kids even if they're able to tell i know we've both connected so many different high school and college athletes to one another and who are closeted and not closeted in different stages of coming out and and just you know being able to talk to somebody about being gay helps them and i know that it, it, it helped mason and and i know that mason's story one of the interesting things that people have latched onto is him talking about not feeling comfortable with the gay community. And, uh, you know, I, uh, he was in um, L.A. one Thursday or Friday night uh, in, in early August, and we just kind of walked down West Hol- uh, in West Hollywood, and he was just kind of, like, wide-eyed, like, I don't even know what to make of this. This is a whole other 
a whole other planet to me. And and so, but people have latched onto that because he was kind of speaking the language of a lot of people who, again, see some of the stuff on TV and are like, yeah, that's not really me. I'm a football player, and 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 that's and they struggle with that part of it. Yeah, it's interesting because I, to me, that's simply a visible part of the LGBT community. It is not the LGBT community, and yet that's what people assume it is. They assume it's a you know. X number block area of West Hollywood or Chelsea or something, and people maybe who are more, for want of a better word, flamboyant than they are. And yet the reality is the vast majority of you know people simply are like anybody else in their outward appearance and stuff. And so it's even it's even stereotyped with it within the community. And it, there had been a historic thing of a lot of gay people actively disliking sports. Almost that used to be. We used to talk about this when we first met. Got almost twenty years ago about. People had a badge of, it was almost like a badge of pride for gay people to say they didn't like sports. It was like, oh, this makes me somehow, for want of a better word, a better gay person. Now that's really, nobody cares anymore. Um, you know, the Super Bowl used to be a thing that a lot of gay people I know didn't watch. Everybody I know watches. Even if they just want to watch for the halftime show or just have a party, they still show up and watch. Um, so I think that's an evolution that's happened. But for people like Mason, where's he from? What, what part of the country is he from originally? Mason? He's from the Midwest. So, but I mean, when you're a high school kid, you're not going to gay bars, clearly. You're not, don't have usually the financial means to even travel to places like that. So it is sort of foreign territory to you. It was for me. I remember 20 years ago, that first stroll down Santa Monica Boulevard, scared, scared (laughs) to walk into a bar. And I was with one of the very first people I ever told I was gay. This was before I, I met you. Um, but not long before, and, and of course, uh, four weeks later, I was at Gay Pride and having a blast, and so I kind of got over my fears quickly. But I had those initial fears before I actually just kind of stepped foot in rage. Yeah, I think part of the fear is, oh my God, everyone's going to be looking and staring at me, and the reality is pretty much people ignore everybody but themselves in a small group. Um, I remember when I came out Penn State, the LGBT group, which, you know, like a lot of LGTB groups, tends to attract the people who are mostly on the margin. You know, the, the people everybody assumes is gay even back then, and they don't care. But I remember getting invited to something, and it was one of their meetings, and I've been to others, and it was a Monday Night Football week. And I said, no, I'm going to go watch Monday Night Football. And they were like, well, how butch? And I felt like I felt almost ostracized by them because I wanted to go watch Monday Night Football. Um, so everyone sort of has their indoctrination to what's considered the gay community, and you know, if everyone's kind of eye-opening, but everybody kind of quickly realizes they're just people just like me, and I can either accept some of the things people like or not or form my own niche, and I think people like Mason and others kind of, you know, they forge their own path. God, that's crazy. I, I met you in a, about a month after I, I I came out to the very first person. It was, yeah, well, because it, it was a pride event. I was working was. a pride event. And that's so, I didn't know you had, yeah, so that was, wow, that was July or no, June of 96. But, the, you know, I, again, it's speaks to that, having that, having somebody there who you connect with, who's also gay and able to talk to. And, I mean, I remember I wrote on Facebook this morning just how much I learned from you about being gay. And I didn't have to be this particular thing. You never even told me. You just were who you were. 
and just seeing that really made me realize I just didn't didn't have to abandon sports or abandon my interest in board games or anything else. I could just still be me. I just maybe go to dance clubs a little more often. But, uh, but well, that was that the first year day. I had Sunday Ticket, the NFL, which by back then almost nobody had, and it was a you know we used right. to have half dozen people over my house on Sundays to watch all these games. And so I had not really known your background. When I think about it, if you're just coming out, oh, my God, I have to be a certain way. And it's like, oh, I could watch football to the gay people. And they're cheering and they know the teams and the players. And, you know, if you didn't know there was a gay group, you would have assumed it was like any, you know, it was sort of your, like a mainstream group. So I, I think that's an interesting thing about sports in general, how it can really unify people who might otherwise feel alienated from parts of the culture. Well, for me, immediately, as soon as I came out, sports because of you and because of PJ, a uh, guy who played ultimate frisbee, oh, yeah. because of the, the two most important people of me coming out were both had intimate relationships with sports. And so sports immediately became part of how I defined myself as a gay man. So I, I had certainly not considered that before I came out, but once I, as soon as I came out, the two most influential people were both sports related. And so it just was, it was just part of who I was as, as soon as I came out. And I, again, I think these kids these days, the athletes these days, when they come out, they, they are having that same opportunity to immediately connect with other gay and lesbian and transgender bisexual people in sports. And, and, and I think that's helping them, uh, you know, re- redefine what it is to be gay. That 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 those connections are being made as soon as people come out. Well, and they're important because you know, LGBT people, the only people raised, you know, the, the the saying, you know, the only minority raised by a majority. That other sort of marginalized groups, sort of, they grow up with with families that are just like them, you know, ethnically or religiously or whatever, or culturally. But for gay people, they often feel alienated even from their own families because they feel different. So to find people that share your common interests, especially something like sports, has really been powerful for people. And the connections people have made throughout sports and other sports things, you know, has, has really helped them, I think, become, you know, more fulfilled adults because they can they realize there is no one path. You could like, for want of a better word, Mason describes, you can like show tunes and like the Steelers. There's not even a contradiction. One of our best friends, Jim Allen, is an opera queen and a baseball fan. You know, like, go figure. Um, and so I think people more and more can realize there is no one way to be gay. Um, and, and that's, you know, with, with, Mason, with Mason's team... I, I'm sure they all had preconceived notions of gay people, but as soon as Mason comes out, he's just him being gay just hasn't even been like I said on their radar screen. He's just the same old guy, and 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 they tease him about it a little bit. I mentioned a, a joke that somebody uh, made when uh, at, at practice in the spring, but they tease him about it. It's funny when I I would ask I asked him and his two teammates and and the coach. Uh, and an assistant coach I didn't quote in the story, I asked them all about the teasing. And they all got very weird about it and defensive, like, oh, well, no, no, no. Well, like, we don't tease him about that. And I said, really? You don't tease him? Like, and then it slowly comes out, well, yes, good-naturedly, because they thought I was like, you know, this is, I was out to get them. And uh, they, were, they were all very concerned. In fact, Mason was very concerned that I was going to paint 
Princeton or his team in a negative light. The coach was very concerned about that. Um, Caleb Slate, one of his teammates, was very concerned about that. And I, 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 to each of them, I'm like, how could I possibly paint a negative light? You've given me nothing negative except this teasing thing. I suppose somebody could, but 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 uh, gay athletes want to be teased about being gay in a good-natured way. They don't want it to be off limits because that just makes it weird. Well, Scott Cooper, who was a openly gay linebacker in college, wrote about the showers for us, what they're really like. And one of the things he said was that once his teammates found out he was gay, he was the one they went to for product. You know, skin care products, hair care products, you know, how they should look. I mean, and so to them, he was like a resource um, that they would use sort of to, like, make them maybe score with women. And it was just, you know, so so that was a bond on that team that everybody was comfortable enough making jokes about it and also using him for advice as if every gay person knows about product. Yeah, well, it's... Last week, I told the story of um, of, a, of, a, of a, a swimmer at Oakland University, and he mm-hmm. said that the same thing, that as soon as he came out and, and all the guys on the team, he was always, his hair was always perfect, and he was always very well-dressed. He is the team, the whole team's go-to guy, and mo- many of them now go to the, go to his barber, and they go once a week, and it's, it's, he's... He's, he's made the whole team more fashion conscious uh, just because he is. Well, and that's yeah, the whole thing of the jokes. All you mean, straight guys don't care about their parents. Well, you know, that's BS, <laughs> as we would know, especially in urban areas. Uh, they're just, you know, they'd be just as obsessed about it as, you know, women, which they like to sort of mock about women all this time with their hair. But, you know, men are much more into that. And I think a lot of it is there's, you know, they've got more comfortable with the fact that you can look good and not be considered gay. You know, like used to be, oh, my God, if you were had a certain style, everyone would assume certain things. But I think those good things have been have been kind of broken down. Um, but in the remaining, I just want to just switch to sort of a related story about gays and sports. And it was a survey USA Today did. The NHL does this sort of media player orientation thing. And they asked an anonymous survey. And one of them, they asked 35 players, would you feel comfortable with opening a teammate? 34 of the 35 said yes, which makes you wonder who the, the one was. But right. it brings up the idea that, you know, and I, I mean, I made that prediction a few years ago that the NHL would have the first openly gay player, and I was wrong. It was the NBA. Sport is for all the progress they've made with the You Can Play project and stuff, it still is the one sport there's never been an openly gay active player obviously, but not an openly gay retired player. And I'm wondering, do you have any insights on what it is about hockey that makes it that way? I, I can't remember what it was a few months ago. In, in the last few months, I talked to Patrick Burke about this. And and I could, you could see and hear the frustration in his voice about this because he has worked, along with his father, so hard with the NHL in showing just how accepting the league is from front offices to the players. And the fact that it is the one league with no, as you said, current or former player being out, it's the only league. It's the, it's the one league that was the first to embrace the You Can Play project. Every team did a You Can Play video or, or a player from every team had done one 
within a, like a month or two. And the the league has a non-discrimination policy. Brian Burke is, is, is a very visible figure of the league. Patrick Burke is an executive with the league. I mean, there, there, I, I, there's always more you can do, but it's frustrating, I know, for Patrick, and that that no one is coming out. And and when I spoke to him, maybe a year ago, he didn't even know of anyone even thinking about it. And I haven't talked, I haven't asked him that question recently. So it is beyond my understanding why someone wouldn't. There, there has to be something inherent about the culture of that sport that. Uh, I don't know. It might be how vulnerable the players are to attacks on the on the ice. Uh, it, it, it's unlike any other sport in that way. Even football, you can't just go and just deck somebody. Uh, but in but in hockey, you can. So that's the only thing that I could think of. It's the one thing that sets that sport apart. Everyone was skating around, and skates are a weapon. The sticks are a weapon. And you can go attack somebody. So that's the only thing that I can think of is the 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 ability to attack other players on the ice. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, a hockey player now referee explained he thought it had something to do with the culture is much more conservative as the sport, not politically, that you would think. And even though there's really about the religious aspect, and it still didn't register with me. I said, still don't understand though. Because the league has gone out of its way, and its players, I mean, the big names, like the Sidney Crosbys and the, you know, Patrick Canes of the world, have come out really actively, you know, supporting this, more so than the big names in other sports, and yet it's a great puzzle, and I think we do have to get a hockey person on one of these podcasts who maybe can explain it to us, because I was confident in my prediction years ago, they'll be the first sport, you know, that at that time, Canada had same-sex marriage, we didn't, the U.S., and all these players from, you know, Scandinavia, and it's like, it's, so, it, it's the great puzzle, and uh, it's one of those I hope we get to na- get an answer for at some point. Well, I think a lot of people made that prediction. Um, I, I may have as well, because people get confused about readiness is and, 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 and whether people being ready for somebody to come out is relevant at all, and the NHL is probably more, quote, ready than any of the other sports, but it's just irrelevant because social change hap- happens whether people are ready or not. It only matters when one individual is ready to take that step. And clearly Jason Collins was before any NHL player. So it, the, you can all, the, creating the environment is, 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 is important, but you still have to convince somebody or somebody has to convince themselves that it's the right thing to do to come out otherwise it doesn't matter what you do you could you could paint every ice in the nhl rainbow colors and and it's still not be enough i was on a show on the canadian broadcasting corporation back in 1993 if you can believe it when i was a openly gay sports editor for a mainstream paper here in southern california and the the title of the show is, which is what I gave to them, was the last closet. And they had two at the time active NHL players whose voices they had disguised, so they obviously knew who they were, talking about it, their fears and all that stuff. And it was like, so even 22 years ago, they found people willing to at least talk anonymously about it. And it's like, thing hadn't changed in 22 years. Like no one has come out since, even after retiring. So that's. It's always been the puzzle. We've talked about this forever. We won't go into it a great deal. The idea of not even retired players coming forward and saying, yep, I played for five years and 
you know, blah, blah, blah. Some people knew, some didn't. But um, it, it is a puzzle, and I do think we need to get a Canadian on to, to try to explain it to us. Yeah, well, maybe we can get Patrick Burke on. I, 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 maybe he has more insights than, than he did when I spoke to him months ago, because I, I know it's been on his mind. Um, yeah, and Patrick, but, you know, the Burke family lost their son, Brendan, who was an openly gay assistant coach in college, um, which started, you know, the impetus of the You Can Play project. They've done great work with this, and uh, it, this is not to negate the work they do that nobody's come out. It's, you know, they've done a great job in laying the groundwork. There's so, only um, so much you can do if you're not absolutely. actively trying to convince people <laughs> to come out. Well, that's about all the time we have. Uh, Sid did the great sandbag. He texted me Sunday saying his fantasy football team was done for the year, and it's week one. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it we'll, we'll see if I it works the, here. <laughs> the same thing happened last year. I've seen this before. I, I will be, I, I'll be shocked if I'm not 0-4 in a couple weeks. Well, all you got to do in this in our league is make the playoffs, and you have a shot. So you have plenty of football to go, but we're running out of time. Thanks uh, for listening. Our podcast is sponsored by AT&T, Mobilizing Your World, and we will talk to you next week. <laughs>